Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody have a good week? Yeah? I had a good week. It was vacation week. It's a good week. Linda and I got a chance to get away for a little bit, go to Cambria. People go, what do you do there? Nothing. That's a good vacation, right? It's funny, we went, and it's a little kind of a belated anniversary uh, vacation, and we've been married 36 years. My friend who's been married 35 years is at Cambria now. Now, I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. You'd think we could do a little better on the planning and be there at the same time, you know, but no. Sometimes things like that happen. There's, they're kind of outside of our thought process, and we don't even consider it. You ever had that happen? Let me give you an example. Suppose you have to plan kind of a large outing of, of people that are going out to eat to maybe celebrate something. I don't know, maybe it's a family birthday or something, and there's like 30 or 40 people going, or maybe it's a work thing. And uh, somebody's retiring, and you're going to go out to eat and, you know, have a retirement party for this person. So you, you got to plan this event. What are some of the things that you might think of? Like, where are we going to go? What kind of food are we going to have? We're going to have Mexican, or we're going to have Chinese, we're going to have Italian. What, what are we going to do? You might consider that some folks might have... Um, Dietary restrictions, you know, maybe somebody's a vegan or vegetarian or low salt or whatever, you know. And so you would maybe consider that. Maybe somebody in the group's handicapped. You got to make sure they can get in. Maybe somebody's got kids. You got to make sure there's something on the menu for kids. Right? There's, there's a lot of things you might consider. But I guarantee the one thing that you do not consider is, oh, we can't go there because my friend Pete is black and they won't let him in. Oh, we can't go there because my friend Joe is Hispanic and they won't let him in. Oh, we can't go there because my friend Kim, you know, she's Asian. They won't let her in. Right? We don't ever think about that because you, everybody can go. Now, it hasn't always been that way in the world. <laughs> But in our lifetimes, it has. Maybe the very, very oldest amongst us, um, if you lived in certain parts of the country, could remember something different. But for us, it's always been that way for our whole lives. And we don't ever even think about it. And the Jews were kind of facing a similar thing, except it had been that way for thousands of years almost since the beginning of time. And they couldn't even think of anything else. And what they were thinking of was, we are God's chosen people. Uh -huh. That's true. They were. Absolutely, positively true. But when you go down that path, it's easy to end up in a bad spot. See, because one might logically think, well, if we're God's chosen people and those people aren't, well, then we go to heaven and they don't, right? Right? I mean, you end up there very easily, very easily, right? And it's very easily turns you into a racist or at least an uppity snob, right? And this was a problem that they were dealing with. And it was based on faulty logic. And if you really questioned many of the Jews and backed them into a corner, they would admit that was not true. They knew it. 
Because remember the exodus out of Egypt. Who was that for? The Jews. But other people went along with them, right? So it was available to anybody who wanted to go. But you kind of had to reject your culture and join the Jewish culture to get it, right? But, but they understood it, but they didn't often act like it. They didn't often um, kind of represent what they believed in their actions, right? And so I want you to be aware of that background as we go through this message today. It's hard for us to comprehend that because for our whole lives, salvation's been for everybody, right? You might have been in cradle roll as a little kid and you sang the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? We've been taught that our whole lives. And so it's hard for us to comprehend where the Jews were coming from, and it's hard for the Jews at that day to comprehend what we're in. But I want you to keep that in mind, because sometimes we're not all that different than the Jews. Okay? Right? A Seventh-day Adventist, what are we? What do we sometimes call ourselves? The remnant. See? And if we're the remnant, and those people are not, right? So sometimes, you know, we're hard on the Jews, but we aren't all that different. So we're going to look at a couple things here. Matthew really tries to drive this point home that salvation is for everybody, okay? And he uses... Uh, two parables and two events uh, that we're going to highlight today and talk about. So let's go to the first one, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Um, now obviously in the Gospels, they don't record everything that Jesus said or did or acted on or maybe even parables he told. I don't know. But Matthew chooses to record these for uh, some very particular reasons. So Matthew 8, 5 through 13, the faith of the centurion. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? That's just a that's just a great question, right? Guy says, man, my, my servant's really sick. Jesus, you want me to come heal him? Yeah, right? You almost want to, like, duh, yeah. That's why I came. Except that's not what the centurion says. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this he was amazed and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And usually when we talk about this parable we stop right there. But this is the interesting part. Verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, this is a very interesting story. Was a centurion a Jew? No, he was a Roman, right? And, of course, the Romans were generally hated because they were an occupying force. You know, again, that's difficult for us to deal with. We, we don't think of that. You know, imagine if Mexico or Canada raised up an army and invaded and we had to pay taxes to one of those governments. We wouldn't be happy about that, would we? That's even, I see you guys giggling, because that's even difficult to comprehend, right? 
But that's where Israel was, right? And so even if this centurion was a, a, a nice guy, he still is a Roman, right? He can only be so nice. But he has this, this faith. And, you know, that verse 11 and 12 is kind of interesting. Jesus says, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who is Jesus talking about? The Jews, right? The leaders who are not listening to him, who are not following his word, they're out. You're going to be out in the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And who's going to take your place? Folks from the east and the west. Who knows who they are? Right? Other people. Those guys over there that aren't God's chosen people. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Very blunt as well. What do we learn from this? You are saved by faith, not because of your family line. You might be able to look back and say, well, my daddy was a preacher, and his daddy was a preacher, and his daddy before him was a preacher. I'm home free. No. No. Well, my mom and dad were great Christians. They came to church every week, paid tithe. They, man, they, they, were, they just, good for them. That doesn't do anything for you. Okay, I'm being very blunt today, okay? We're just being very blunt today. You are saved by faith, not because of your family line, and anyone can have faith, including those guys over there that aren't God's chosen people. They're not part of the remnant. How can they have faith? Very interesting. In Matthew 15, let's turn to Matthew 15. He drives this point home again with another encounter. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. It says, The faith of a Canaanite woman... Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of, of Tyre and Sidon. I don't know how to say that. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not utter a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out to us. She's driving us crazy. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, I wish we had the whole sermon to talk about this story, because, man, there's all kinds of cool stuff going in here. And when we read that the first time to our Western ears, Jesus comes off a little rude. He calls somebody a dog, right? In our politically correct society, where you don't want to say anything that triggers anybody or makes anybody upset or does anything, you don't call people dogs, right? And I don't speak these ancient languages, but in my research, the word that's used there is really would be almost better translated as small pet. So this is an indoor dog. You know, this is not a rabid wolf. This is fluffy. That sounds better, doesn't it? 
This is Fluffy. And Fluffy lives inside. And Fluffy gets, you know, little scraps off the table, you know. When mom looks that way, you know, the kids, you know, like this. And Fluffy gets to eat, right? And the woman knows that because when she says, when he calls her a dog, she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. She knew he was referring to a small indoor pet, not a rabid wolf, okay? But still, it comes off a little rude. And so why does Jesus do this? Jesus has already shown that salvation and faith is for everybody with the centurion. But I don't think the point made it all the way home to the disciples and some of the people that were around him. Because here's this woman asking for help, and Jesus ignores her, and the disciples are okay with that. Right? Jesus doesn't answer, and the disciples are like, get her out of here, man. She's driving us nuts. Jesus has been busy showing compassion to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but this woman doesn't deserve any. How come? She was a Canaanite. Remember who the Canaanites were? When Israel came out of Egypt and they went to the promised land, where did they go? Canaan. Who was there? The Canaanites. How does your logic go if you are God's chosen people? We're God's chosen people. God took the land away from you and gave it to us. How low are you on the totem pole? Way down, right? Because you were so bad, God took your land away from you and gave it to us. This woman doesn't deserve anything, Jesus. She's a Canaanite. You already dealt with them. And Jesus wants to make a point. Now, one thing I want you to think about. Did Jesus know she was going to be there? Absolutely. Do you think Jesus maybe arranged that meeting? I'm going to be in the right place at the right time to meet with this woman so that the kingdom of God can be revealed to these dense-headed lugheads I'm walking around with. Right? Because they're not getting it. And so Jesus makes a point. Now, if Jesus had just come along and said, okay, woman, daughter's healed, see ya, and on to the next one, the story might not even be recorded in the Bible. It would be one of the thousands, tens of thousands of interactions that Jesus had every day where he just healed people all the time. And it would be lost to history. But Jesus stops and makes a point. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. It's a very important point that he wants to drive home there. Okay? What do we learn from this? It's faith that matters. Doesn't matter whether you're a Canaanite or an Israelite or an Adventist or a Baptist. Did I really say that? Right? What matters is your faith. What matters is your faith. I mean, I wish we could talk about that story more because there's so much cool stuff in that story. But we want to look at a couple of the parables that Jesus told. Okay, And and Matthew records two parables for us back to back. Matthew 21, the bottom of Matthew 21, and then going into the top of Matthew 22. So Matthew 21, verse 33 to 46, he tells a parable. And this is a little bit long, so I'm going to kind of do my best imitation of an a, a auctioneer and, and go through this pretty quick. 
Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who had planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew who he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but were afraid of the crowd because of the people held that he was a prophet. Did the Pharisees and the chief priests understand what Jesus was talking about? Yes. And Jesus says, I am going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to those people over there that you don't think are deserving. Because they will share the, the produce, the fruit. They will produce, and you are not. Jesus is being blunt, right? There's no, oh, what's he mean? What's he talking about? He's being very, very blunt, and they were not happy. And then the next parable that uh, Matthew records to us, right there at the top of Matthew 22, 22, 1 to 10. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet, telling them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. And the king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So let's go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the street and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now Matthew doesn't record the reaction to that parable. <laughs> but based on what happened to the last one, the chief priest knew who he was talking about. Right? This is getting taken away from you and given to the bad people, right? Not only, it's, it's not about your family line. It's not about how good you were. I'm going to give it away to the people that don't even deserve it. What? Now, just wait a minute. You know, you got to be holy to go to heaven, Right? You, you got to study the Bible. You, you got to get baptized. You, you have to do a Bible study with pastor and learn all 28 fundamental beliefs. Anybody know what fundamental belief 24 is? Me neither. Wait a minute. The Bad people get to go to heaven? 
we don't like that so much. I read a story online about a lady whose son had been killed, murdered, by another young man. And um, as that man, he was convicted, sent to prison. And as he was in prison, this lady began writing him and visiting him, became friends with him. And when he got out of prison, she was the one that took care of him, gave him a place to live, helped him get back on his feet and stuff. Now that's forgiveness and love. I don't know if I could do that. Right? To the person who killed my son? Uh-uh. Maybe if he killed some, you know, one of y'all's sons, maybe. Not my son. Right? But that's what Jesus says. Listen, it's not who your family is. It's not how good you are. That isn't it. Well, then what's it? It's the faith. Do you have faith in Jesus? Not, did your parents have faith in Jesus? Not, did your Bible teacher or your youth pastor have faith in Jesus? Not, does your spouse have faith in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? And anybody can have faith. Canaanites, undeserving people, bad people, invading armies. They can all have faith. And we say, yeah, I know that. I've heard that, Bill. You're not telling me anything I don't know. But we're like the Jews. We don't always act that way. Right? Because, you know, there's somebody at work that drives you insane, right? That, that person just is so annoying. You're like the disciples with the Canaanite woman. Tell her to go away, right? Somebody make that person go away. You're driving me crazy. But salvation is for them too. Salvation is for everyone. And when Jesus says everyone, he means everyone. That means that neighbor that annoys you. You know the guy. The guy that thinks he's going to be in the next heavy metal band and likes to practice at three in the morning. Yeah, that guy. That means the street racers who are doing burnouts at the corner, 2 a.m. That includes them. Wow. Now, do we really act like that? Because like I said, we can be dangerously close to the Jews. Say, you know, we're good, we, we go to church, we keep the commandments, and we pay our tithe. And Heaven's for us. And it is. But it's for other people too. And this ties in beautifully with our small group series we're going to be doing. Starting October 16, called My 12 People. You guys, if you've been around and paid attention, you've heard me say, you know, I want to go to heaven. I want to drag as many people along with me as I can. So here's your opportunity to drag 12 people along with you. It's going to be an opportunity to pick some people and start praying for them very intentionally. Okay? I was, um, this book is written by um, an Adventist pastor whose name eludes me at the moment. What was his name, Pastor? Roy Ice. I was watching a video. We'll probably we'll make that video available for everybody. We'll share it. And he was talking about one of his experiences. And he started praying for his neighbor, who I think was a sheriff. And so he's, he's praying for his neighbor. And his neighbor comes over and says, you know, I'm trying to take out some bushes, but I, I need some tools, like a big pry bar to pull these bushes out. Do you, do you have something? 
And I says, well, I don't have anything, but I've, I've got something that might work. So he goes, gets his tools, comes out, and the, the sheriff, the neighbor, reaches for him. He says, oh, no, no, I'm coming over to help you. So they go over to his backyard, and they're working on these bushes and grunting and groaning. And the sheriff, after just a few minutes, goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? He goes, yeah. He goes, could you tell me something? The pastor goes, this is like a dream come true. I got people asking me to preach to them, right? And he had several stories like that. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking for people we can pray for very intentionally that we can try and drag along to heaven with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so really looking forward to that. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to be handing out the books earlier, and we'll talk a little more about that because there's a little part we want you to read to be ready for when it starts on the 16th. Um, so be, be ready for that. Um, but it's, it's going to be very good, and I'm very much looking forward to that. And for those of you that are sitting here today and have never made a decision to follow Jesus on your own because you always thought it was enough that mommy and daddy were good, or it was enough that you came to church, I encourage you to make a decision to follow Christ. Your own decision to follow Christ. And if you want to do that, but you don't know how to do that, talk to Pastor, he's here, talk to me, or Gustavo, uh, Edwin, Tomas. There's several people here. We can help you um, get started on that journey. Because it's the faith that matters. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these stories that are in there to show us that salvation is for everybody. It's not just for people of a certain family line or people who are somehow good enough or holy enough, righteous enough. It's for everybody, Lord, no matter what you've done. It's for the people that may be sitting on death row and have had done some horrible things, but have had a change of heart. Lord, help us to open our hearts to you and to understand your love, your mercy, your compassion for everybody even the people that sometimes we have a tendency to say they're not worthy. Those people matter to you, maybe the most, Lord. Help us to have your heart to love the people around us even more. Be with us now. Keep us safe. Bring us back again. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Hello? You can hear me? Good? All right. Praise God. Thank you, Alex and David. Wow. What beautiful music those brothers can play. 
If only I were half as talented. <laughs> that was beautiful. Wow. All right, let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, to be here on your Sabbath day, Lord, as a church and a congregation, Lord. We're thankful that we can have a day, Lord, dedicated for your youth, Lord. We pray that um, the message from your throne room be heard today, Lord, and that it may reach everyone's hearts, Lord, both youth and young in heart. And so be with me now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, I just want to say, um, welcome everyone. This is our youth, young adult Sabbath. It's always hard to choose which word, young adult or youth, because um, <laughs> there seems it comes a time where you don't want to be called a youth, but then young adult fits. But even me, I question, am I a young adult? Am I an adult? I pay taxes, you know, <laughs> I work full time, like what, what is an adult now? So, um, but just to give you a little background, um, we actually planned to do our young adult Sabbath, I believe it was last year, and we weren't able to because when the world shut down, it was that Sabbath, it was the Sabbath of that week, we were ready to go, but Praise God, we're here today, and I'm thankful that the doors are open. And so, uh, I got a lot to cover in a little time. So, I'm going to be zipping through scriptures. So, I just pray you all can keep up, and this will definitely be online. So, we're thankful to have our online viewers. So, it's been quite some time the past almost two years, it feels like, right? For everyone, it's been different, right? Life's a little different than it was, as they say, pre-COVID, right? And so what does this all mean? And where do we stand, right? As youth, where do we stand in this world? It seems to be a time of great uh, turmoil. You know, there's a lot of problems. seems like the problems haven't gone away. feels like the problems have just got worse. But um, you know, we're still here, and we're still here for a reason, and we're here for a reason, right? And there's hope, right? Because I'm thankful for the helpers out there, and because and, and whenever there's a time of trouble, I've been told always look for the helpers, because there are those that will help. And so I want to go through two stories today from the Bible, and um, the first story focuses on... Um, Mount Sinai, and Moses and the children of Israel escaped Egypt and are at Mount Sinai. And the question, the, the scene is, is it's been three months since the children of Israel has left Egypt as they came to Mount Sinai. And Moses go up, goes up the mount, and he's gone for like 40 days. And I, a lot of you are familiar with this story. The children of Israel get into some trouble while Moses is gone. And so we're going to read in Exodus 32, verse 1. It says here, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So we see here the people don't know where Moses is. And it's a time where the people are confused. And it, it almost has parallels to what's gone on in our world in the past year or so. Because churches were closed. Some churches closed completely, right? Small churches. Those ones really suffered. And sometimes it felt like our leaders were gone, right? Because Moses was their leader at this point. He was the prophet. He was that man that led him out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And so we see, if we jump down to verse 6, Exodus 32, verse 6. It says, Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now we get a little context of what exactly is going on here in verse 5. 
And we see that the people gathered all their jewelry and started making idols. So we see here during a time of confusion and delay, the children of Israel went back to their idols in Egypt. And you see, the children of Israel, it wasn't a matter of whether God was real or not. You know, a lot of young people today, we struggle with this question. And there's a reason for that is because God is not taught in schools. You know, we are taught in, a, in public school education. We are taught there is no God and we came from nothing. But this isn't exactly the question the children of Israel faced. You see, the children of Israel seen God protect them from the plagues out of Egypt. They seen God separate the Red Sea for them, right? As they were getting chased by Pharaoh. They had seen God lead them on a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had seen God feed them manna from heaven and water from rocks, right? God cared and provided for the children of Israel. So it wasn't a matter of whether um, God was real, but you see, Egypt was still in a lot of these people's hearts because these people grew up in Egypt. These were people that had their, their parents and their grandparents, and they all came from Egypt. So what happens? During a time of confusion and delay, they went right back to their idols. And um, it, it has similarities to our time now because it almost seems like we live in a time of great confusion. And it, it, the line between right and wrong seems to be very blurred these days. And, 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 and it's very difficult because some people are making very big, important decisions these days. And, um, and many during this time, um, you see, we live in a time now where we don't see golden calves on the street and we don't see idols or statues. So in America, we think um, that could never happen to us, right? We could never fall as the way the children of Israel did. But we see God gives us these lessons in the Old Testament so that we can learn. Because nowadays, we have different idols in America. We have American idols. I'm not talking about the show, <laughs> not about singers, but American idols. And idolatry comes in all shapes and sizes. And so we need to be careful during a time of confusion and almost delay and not to fall back into idolatry. And so we see here when Moses comes down from the mount um, in verse 13 of chapter 32, we see here that God is angered by what the people are doing. And that is because they fell into idolatry and God had just, you know, done everything he can, leading them out of Egypt, leading them through the wilderness. And now to fall back to idolatry, God was angered. But we see here Moses, um, he brings up something. And in verse 13, it says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and sayest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So we see here Moses reminds God, say, hey, what about this covenant? You know, these are your people. Don't just blot them out. Don't destroy your people. And God listened, you know, and God is merciful. You see, God is merciful in the Old Testament. I know a lot of people think that is not a popular opinion, but we see mercy and love even in the Old Testament for the children of Israel. And we see that Moses knew about the covenant from Abraham, right? We see, he says that you will have a people you will have a seed. You will have this people inherit that land that you promised. And the same thing is true for today, spiritually, right? Maybe we've gone back to our idols. Maybe we've gone back to the things we said we wouldn't do. 
But God has not forsaken us. You see, God, I like to say God's forgiveness is greater than any sin. And some people underestimate the power of God's forgiveness. And we must remember that um, when we fall back into idolatry, we must turn our eyes to God. We must turn to him. And so, young people, we are at a time in our life where the habits we form, the things we do, the things we watch, and the things we listen to, the people we hang with, are going to be things that will settle into our lives and define who we are for the rest of our lives. And so we want to make sure we, we keep our mind on the right things, right? Because it's not always the obviously evil stuff we have to keep our eyes off of, right? I mean, I, don't, I was, I was going to throw up some pictures, but I decided not to. But things have changed, you know, and... There's some weird things going on in this world. You know, Nike, you know, the big shoe company, Nike came out with some shoes not too long ago with real human blood in them. What is going on? That seems very weird. Um, Tony Hawk, he just came out with a new ad for a promotion of a new skateboards. And what they did is they took blood from Tony Hawk and they put it in the paint. And they painted these skateboards with it. And the scary thing is, these products sell out. These things fly off the shelves within seconds from the websites. The websites crash because the demand is so high. And so you got to think, who is buying this stuff? You know, the, you know, the Bible says, you know, there is nothing new under the sun. And the things as old will happen now. And we're, I believe we're seeing that. We're seeing a total twist of morality and, 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 and what the definition of good is. Because if we look at the world, the world is going to tell you, do what you think is good. Follow your heart. You know, if it feels good, it must be good. And we have to be careful if we roll with this worldly mindset because as a church, we always tend to want to be just above the world. So as the world goes down, the church morality could sort of go down. And we can say, well, at least we're not like the world. But if we don't stick to a set standard, we can find the world being on the same level as the world, or the church being on the same level as the world. This is why it is very important that we let the scriptures define what is good. We let God define what is good. Because God's standard does not change. And when we live in a time of great confusion and where lines seem to be blurred, we must remember God's word. You see, that is very important because the people here at the base of Mount Sinai forgot about God. Time had passed. You know, these were, these were faithful people at one point. And so in Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, we need discernment during these times. You see, the Bible doesn't say don't smoke cigarettes. The Bible doesn't say that. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't say. But we need to look at the principles. We need to use the principles of the word to be our filter. And so here's another lesson of why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So we see here God says three main reasons of why Sodom fell. Pride. You see, we can, we can have an idol of ourselves in this day and age. And I would say there is that idol very 
popular during our times, especially with the youth. You know, I know our parents didn't grow up with social media and Instagram and Facebook, even though we may all be a part of it now. But there's a different challenge that youth has today. Because I'm not going to come up here and say technology is evil or movies are evil and music is evil. But we must filter what is good and what is bad. And the fact is, if we don't keep God on our focus and in our thoughts and minds, these technologies can be used for evil. You know, I read a report and a study that showed that the longer someone spends on their phone, on social media, the less happy and depressed they are. This is what's coming out in the research now. And they have all this data from these, this last year and a half from this pandemic. Because we see very, I love stats. I love to look at stats. I'm a stats guy. And the fact is, since this pandemic has started, you know, drink alcohol has risen, has exploded in sales. Record numbers. Smoking, both cigarettes and marijuana, are at an all-time high. You know, domestic violence is at an all-time high. Um, speeding. I work from home now, and I'm not even on the road that often, but I can tell you, people do not drive the same. It's like, like people got too comfortable with the empty freeways at the beginning of the pandemic, because people fly down the freeway. People do not care. Um, depression is at an all-time high. So we see here something is happening in this world. Something very dark is taking over the minds of the people. And so I want to get to my second story here. And the second story I have here to share is with the three Hebrew boys versus the image. And here's the scene. We have this golden statue being built by Nebuchadnezzar. Because Daniel had this dream about a statue and he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel pretty much tells Nebuchadnezzar, this statue that you see, you are the head of gold, but eventually we find out that there is a rock that comes that destroys this statue. And we all know who that rock is. Jesus, right? Our Lord is coming again. And no kingdom on this earth will be able to stand against him. But because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, he tells himself, I will build myself a, a, a statue and no one will destroy this statue. So he begins building a golden statue. So in Daniel 3, verse 1, we see it says here, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. So we see here the statue is put in the middle of Babylon. So everyone can see. And we know the statue was not built overnight. These three Hebrew boys had probably seen the construction of the statue as it got bigger and taller and the feet and the legs and the arms and then finally the head. And so in Daniel, in the verses 2 through 6, it reads here. It says, And Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of all the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that Neb King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before that, that image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, and they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a, of a burning, fiery furnace. So what do we see here? 
Nebuchadnezzar calls all his leaders, all these men of power, all these men of renown, and he tells the people, as soon as you hear the music, you will fall down and worship this statue. So we see here music is at play. We need to be careful with the music we listen to. So everyone fall, they hear the music, and everyone falls on their knees to worship, except three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar sees this, and he thinks to himself, they must have made a mistake, because everyone is on their knees. So he approaches them, and he says, I'm going to give you a second chance. Maybe you didn't quite hear the music. So the band probably gets ready to play a little louder. And so they play a second time. And so we see here, it says in verse 15, Now if you are ready at that time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You see, Nebuchadnezzar did not worship the God of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar had his own self in his throne, in his heart. And so what, do, what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Verse 16 tells us. And the answer to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, and I love this, they say three things here. It says, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, I love these three statements the three Hebrew boys tell Nebuchadnezzar, because these three boys didn't do something just out of, you know, the moment. This wasn't a decision they made in the moment. These were three Hebrew boys that had been prepared through their time in slavery in Babylon with Daniel. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, our God can, our God will, but even if our God does not. You see, that is a testament of the faith these Hebrew boys had in God. You see, sometimes in life, it's easy to believe in God when things are going your way, when everything's in order. But what's hard is when things are not going your way, when everything seems to be going out of order, when you feel like God isn't there. But that is faith. See, faith includes the things we don't understand. And God is faithful. He is faithful. You see, these three Hebrew boys were young. And what happened when he threw them into the fiery furnace? You see, I'm sure these the three Hebrew boys felt the heat. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was trying to coerce these three boys into worshiping the statue. And in verse 25, it says, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, three Hebrew boys went into the fiery furnace, but they see four people standing in there. And that fourth person, it says, looked like the Son of God. That was Jesus. You see, through our greatest trials and tribulations, Jesus will be there to carry you through. You know, I give a lot of credit to these young people. I'm 28 years old. I'm done with college. I'm done with high school. Middle school is a long time ago. But these are students that are going to school in a very difficult time. I can barely keep my mask on for an hour. I'll be honest. These are strong people. And God will never tempt you beyond what he thinks you can't accomplish. It's against, it's against his promise. It's against his will. You see, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, we see here that the three Hebrew boys prepared for this moment. And we see that God did not depart from them. You see, in, in Revelations, when, the, when as it talks about a dying world, a world that seems to get more darker, there's, there's certain parts of Revelation, it's just, it's kind of, it doesn't sound hopeful. It sounds like the battle has been lost. But it doesn't end there. God talks about a people that will stand. A people that will stand amongst great opposition. And I believe the young people have a great part in this act. Why? Because we're young. <laughs> Energy. And, uh, you know, we... We don't have as much ties to this world as are the adults, right? Probably don't have a house. Probably don't have any kids at the moment. You know, and so because of that, we have less ties, so we can do great things. And so I come to this, my closing statements. Matthew 6, 24 tells us, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so just like in the Old Testament, these three Hebrew boys were the people, the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. They had a choice, and there's only two choices. You know, the world wants to tell you there's a middle choice. You can stand in the middle. This is not true. Choose who you will serve. Choose God. God is faithful. Because in this story with King Nebuchadnezzar, I skipped over this verse, but it tells us that because of the way these three men stood, Nebuchadnezzar changed his heart about the true God, the God of Israel. And so when you stand up for God, you will be a witness to others. Other people will see God, through your actions, they will see Jesus in you, in your life. We have a great accuser out there, people. All people. The devil, I see the devil at work in a way he's never been at before. And I'll tell you what, he's after the young people. He's after the young people. And like I said, it's not always the obvious evil stuff we need to be wary of. It's the small deceptions. You know, Jesus said to be careful for those wolves in sheep's clothing. And so, hang on to Jesus. Because there's nothing in this world worth hanging on to than him. I want to read this statement. It says, the closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clear and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distant contrast to his perfect nature. But do not be discouraged. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, that the, vivif that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you and your indifference and unconcern are passing away our high calling. You see, I struggled with this. You see, I, I didn't understand why as I continued to study the word and draw closer to Jesus. I, I felt, I could see my, like this statement said, I seen my imperfections at a greater magnitude. But my problem was, I was looking at what I was doing and I wasn't focusing on Christ. Because as you draw closer to Christ, he will bring the sins up in your life. But we don't let go. 
We do not let go of Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And so, Pastor Kerry, our previous pastor, he was with the youth on one of his last Sabbaths here. And he gathered us in a circle. And this is a verse that has always stuck with me to this day. And Pastor Kerry told us to read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 to 31. And it says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall, shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, this is a message to the young people. And it's telling us that we shall run and we won't get tired. We shall fly on like wings like eagles in the sky. But what is the one condition? It says, for those that wait on the Lord. You see, folks, it's very clear the signs around us. Jesus is coming soon. I believe this with all my heart. And this pandemic has, has given us a lot of free time than I used to have. Everything was closed. Gyms were closed. Malls were closed. Things are open now. But that's under the grace of God, because who knows? If there's anything I learned, things can change in this world rapidly. People used to tell me this could never happen. The world will never be shut down. The store shelves will never be empty. This past year and a half told me things can change. But the one thing that won't change is our Lord. Cling on to him. Young people, I give you guys a lot of credit. You guys are strong people. Thank you for your service today. So just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let us find fellowship and strengthen each other so that we can stand for the Lord and be a witness to other people. There's a lot of other young people that need Jesus. I believe this. And so God is the only one that deserves your time, attention, and affection. It is my prayer that God be your only focus of worship in this life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, oh Lord, thank you, Lord, for your wonderful works, God. You are mighty, Lord, and, and we are so thankful, Lord, that you've given us direction in this world, that you have not left us, Lord, to, to fall and to be alone. Lord, you are good. Lord, we pray, Lord, during these times of great struggle, Lord, especially with all people, but especially the youth, Lord, we pray that you give them strength, that you help them, Lord, and teach them how to stand and how to cling on to Jesus more firmly, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for all the time we have, Lord. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful that the doors are open. We're thankful, Lord, for all that you do during this time, Lord. I pray you be with each and every one of these people here. Be with them and their families. Keep us safe, Lord, and continue to watch over us as well as our online viewers at home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.